Hello, friends, dudes, homies, homets, dudettes, peoples, all my friends listening. This is your host, Mr. Adam X, and you're listening to The Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. I am having an excellent week, and I hope you all are too. Uh, my local hill, it's not a mountain, my local hill was hit with about 14 inches of snow, and they aren't open, which is great, because that means I get to tour it, and I get the entire place to myself, which means my legs are burning, my heart rate is high, I have no lungs, and that is the greatest feeling on the planet, and I've been searching for that for the last six months. Mountain biking's cool, but skiing's cooler. Which brings me to my hot take of the week. I think skiing's stupid. I think snowboarding is stupid. I think skiboarding is stupid. I think sledding is stupid. But you know what is fun? All of those things. Sometimes stupid things are fun. We dedicate our lives to this. We postpone work. We call off work. To go skiing, snowboarding, skiboarding, sledding. And it's all stupid. So let's be stupid together. And let's have fun. Let's take all the BS out of this winter sport. And let's make it fun and stupid. And a little serious, maybe. But not too serious. Skiing is stupid. Snowboarding is stupid. Skiboarding is stupid. Sledding is also stupid. And together, we can be stupid all together, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense in my brain. But I just think we need to have more fun. Let's have fun. That's all we're doing is having fun. And if we can create a little little change via our platforms while having fun, then that's what we should do. My episode this week is sponsored by Onyx Backcountry. Go to onyxmaps.com, use code, promo code, out of bounds, all one word, and you will save 20% on your yearly subscription. I've just started skiing again for this year, and I've used it, and it's amazing. I've already found, with the slope angles and slope shading that I can use on my computer and bring those maps onto my phone, Onyx Backcountry has already helped me find two little zones and i'm i live in buffalo new york i'm talking 800 foot vertical so finding zones here isn't always easy check it out onyxmaps.com onyxmaps.com let me say that one again use promo code out of bounds for 20 percent off your order onyxmaps.com which now brings me to my guest who happens to be an Onyx ambassador. My guest this week would be the one and only Jason Anton. If you don't know Jason, look him up. Look up at Beat Monday, and that'll give you a great indicator of who this guy is. He is a professional guide, a mountain performance coach, a outdoorsman, a superstar what do we want to call tv star on outside tv which was what i was talking about beat monday the concept of beat monday is leaving work on a friday adventuring and being back at work on monday morning 
So it's Jason's brainchild. We talk about it a little bit. Talk about being, I mean, we talk about everything. That's what we do. We talk about stuff. Uh, Jason was such a fun guest. Great conversation. So here it is, episode 39, I believe, of the Pursuit Podcast with at Mr. Adam X on the Auto Collective. Oh, boy. <laughs> Excellent, Adam. Uh, well, here we go. I'm Jason Anton. I'm here to have a great conversation with you, Adam, today. And uh, I'm a guide. I'm a, uh, a storyteller and a coach in the mountains. Let's talk about... First, I mean, we have we talked about this a little bit prior to recording, but let's talk about Colorado Colorado Mountain School right off the bat. What is it? Yeah. What does it do? Why should people go to it? Yeah, so the Colorado Mountain School is uh, is a guide service that just turned forty years old. Um, so in the guiding industry, that's kind of a big deal. Um, it's not easy to run a guide service in North America. Uh, there's plenty of challenges. And uh, Colorado Mountain School was kind of born in Colorado. We've got two offices, one in Boulder and one in Estes Park, uh, just at the gates of Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, we're, uh, we're a guide service that, that helps people get out in the mountains. Um, our busiest season is certainly the winter time. So we, uh, we've served about 2,000 to 2,500 students last year alone in just their avalanche education uh, journey. And so... Um, you know, we do everything from taking people rock climbing to hiking, ice climbing, backcountry skiing, expeditions to other places all over the world. You name it. That's what Colorado Mountain School uh, is all about. So is this for anybody or like, do you have to be an expert to get into Colorado Mountain School or can beginners show up and you have lessons for I, I don't know if we call them lessons, but like courses for any individual? Because I think when we hear like a Colorado mountain school or a guide type service, it's almost like you have to be an expert in order to take a class. Does that question make sense? Yeah. And that makes total sense. And I've always actually found that to be kind of challenging because um, I feel like it's not clear what, what as a guide you can do to help someone build a better skill set. So to answer your question, Anyone can can join, you know, anyone can partake in, in an offering at Colorado Mountain School. You can be a complete beginner who's never had a harness on before and show up and we will we will find an outing that's appropriate for you. So you can be a complete beginner with absolutely no experience. You'd be good to go. Conversely, um, we also have plenty of clients that are incredibly talented and incredibly experienced um, and they're looking for a different type of outing, one that um, caters to some very specific, potentially higher level objectives. So it really is for anyone. It's anyone that wants to build their skill set in the outdoors and have an experience in the mountains. How did you start doing this? So this being guiding, um, the first time I ever had an experience facilita facilitating an outdoor uh, activity or adventure was actually when I was living in the Boston area. And uh, at the time, I was working for a bigger corporation, Fidelity Investments, and I started volunteering for this organization called Waypoint Adventure. And uh, Waypoint caters to adults with developmental disabilities, and their goal is getting these people outside and showing them the power of the outdoors, showing them the power of the mountains. And this uh, this company was run by two gentlemen, Dan Minich and uh, Adam Combs. And uh, Dan and Adam uh, took me on as a volunteer and. Um, they kind of trained us on how to facilitate these really powerful outdoor experiences and uh, ones that kind of left an impression on me were, were climbing. So taking people outside and climbing and, you know, we'd go out and rig top ropes at 
these little crags in the Boston area and show people a phenomenal time. And so fast forward about two years from there, I decided to do what many folks do, pack up their pack up their truck and hit the road and move elsewhere. I chose Colorado. Um, and uh, as part of that journey out West, I decided to leave the corporate world and uh, I really wanted to, to get into guide. And so I tried to uh, connect with various different guide services and believe it or not, it's not that easy without any significant formal experience or training. Um, but a gentleman named Kevin Capps based in Golden, Colorado, who owns a guide service named or called Denver Mountain Guiding, gave me a shot. And so in 2010, I started uh, kind of my, my, my real professional uh, journey as a, as a guide. And so um, I started working for Denver Mountain Guiding part-time, um, worked for a bunch of other different guide services because that's kind of a theme with guiding North America is although there are companies like the Colorado Mountain School, um, like Denver Mountain Guiding, it is a pretty individual pursuit if you want it to be. And in fact, often from a financial standpoint, that tends to be the best way to go. Um, me being uh, having a background in team sports, I really like the idea of working with a guiding team. So um, to answer your question, Adam, how did I get into it? I just started off part-time working a few, uh, you know, a few times a month, um, you know, about 10, 11, 12 years ago. And over the years have invested a lot more and more in, into it. And uh, now it's really where I, I really like to put all of my professional energy. You tackled a lot there. So I want to backtrack a little bit. You were born and raised East Coast, Massachusetts, yep. correct? You played football in college. Mm -hmm. And then you ended up in the outdoor world. Well, yeah, you ended up in the corporate world first for a little bit. This and is then, very true, Adam. So uh, I don't want to bore you to tears, but yeah. So I, I grew up in New England, um, grew up in Massachusetts. I went to school in New York at a small school in Canton, New York called St. Lawrence University. Um, and at the time, when it comes to the outdoors, my my passion was was the gridiron, right? Playing football. Um, and that's where I put all of my energy, all of my my training, my preparation. Um, it really was instilled in my experience playing college football. When I graduated, you know, when you, when you think about if anyone's ever played NCAA sports, it, it takes a lot out of you. It's very demanding from a time standpoint, from a mental energy standpoint, physical energy. Um, and when I graduated, there was this, this massive void. Like I had no idea what to do with all this energy and, and time, frankly. Um, and even though I, when I graduated, I jumped right into the corporate world that still, believe it or not, leaves a heck of a lot of time if you're used to playing a college sport. And uh, I just went back to what I found to to be really impactful in my life. And that was, that was going back to some really powerful experience I had as a, as a younger individual in the outdoors. And so um, I immediately just put everything I could into building, building up my outdoor skill set. So I did that by uh, volunteering to that organization that I mentioned. I did that through um, participating in um, the local mountain, mountain club. So the Appalachian mountain club. Um, and I did that through like hire, hiring guides and having them actually take me out and, and show me the ropes, so to speak. So right after I graduated, I just put kind of every ounce of extra energy I had into building my mountain skill set. Was there intent to build it into a career or you just knew you enjoyed being outdoors and that's at that age, you just knew that's something you wanted to continue to do. 
No, in fact, Adam, at the time, my professional goal was to uh, work in federal law enforcement. And so my job at Fidelity Investments was uh, actually on the kind of security and investigations um, side of the corporate world. And uh, my primary goal at the time was to um, eventually join the Secret Service, move to D.C. and, and protect the president. But concurrently, I was also having this this uh, this battle where my professional passion seemed to be pushing me towards federal law enforcement. And on the side, I'm 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 kind of like neck deep in, in outdoor adventure. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of like I, I, my head was in two places. Right. It's like fully focused on this profession. But at the same time, I'm trying to become a climber and a, and a backcountry traveler and, and all these things. So certainly a very formative time in my life. So Italy. was there a light bulb moment that like was the deciding factor for you loading up your truck and driving out West or it was just something that was gnawing at you? Like, how do you make that decision? How do you, how do you explain it to people listening who are in that same situation to be like, do it? A lot of it for me, you know, that's really a question. A lot of it for me comes down to your identity. It's like, what do you identify as and what, and what, what do you find to be, um, you know, what, what drives you day to day? And so, you know, thinking back to that year of when I finally went from, um, you know, thinking I was going to, going to move to DC someday and, and work for the secret service to, living in Colorado, working in the outdoors. Um, it, it wasn't an, an individual moment. It was a buildup over probably about a year or two's time where the, the scales got tipped, right? So for in, in one side of the scale, I had, I had this, this goal and this desire to uh, fulfill this professional goal. And over time, more and more weight got put on the other side of the scale, which was a life in the outdoors. And during that time, I, I met incredible people as part of the outdoor community. I met um, a girl who's now my wife and and all that kind of started filling up the other side of the scale, which is a life in the mountains. And eventually at one point, those, that, that scale got tipped and I decided that, uh, and this was over, you know, the professional side of things was a, you know, a multi-year process where I just eventually um, when I once was able to envision myself uh, wearing a suit every day um you know, working in federal law enforcement, DC, all of a sudden that, that no longer became a story that I wanted to tell. And, um, that moment came at, you know, in, in 2010 and, uh, I gave my two weeks notice and I, I hopped in, hopped in my Jeep and, and drove out to Colorado. That's badass. Cause they're, they're two totally different things, right? Like I can relate a little bit. I went to school for criminal justice and economic crime investigation yeah like same type of thing i was like kind of okay i'll get a job being a, a some type of law enforcement and then maybe go fbi route and like yeah and there was this thing that was just pulling me and i couldn't explain what it was other than just like i really like being outside in its simplest form right like i just like being outside that's what that's my health care it's my mental health it's my physical health and it was always like gnawing at me and then I still don't think I've ever made the decision, but I'm now 35. So I've clearly made the decision <laughs> to like 
oh, this is where I belong. This is what I want to do. I want to travel in my van and I want to ski and I want to surf and I want to skate and I want to mountain bike and I want to, you know, that's my social scene. That's my, again, my mental health care, my physical health care, but it was never a choice. And I guess by doing nothing, that is the choice. That was my, like, I never applied for those jobs because I knew deep down I wasn't going to do it. Yep. So it's. Yep. No, I, I get it. I mean, like one thing you'll be able to relate to this, I think, um, is, you know, there was a time in my life where I really enjoyed part part of the allure of the law enforcement and the investigations and the security side of those jobs are risk management. Right. So like that's your that's your job. It's risk management. And at the end of the day, there, I just look back and there's just a, there's a lot of like neg- there's a lot of internal negativity. You're like always looking out for the bad guy. Right. And in the mountains, there's bad guys too, right? Crevasses are bad guys. Seracs are bad guys. Avalanches are bad guys. But they're not malicious. They're just part of the mountain and you're just visiting. And so for me, you know, taking a job that was once in the law enforcement side of things and then fast forward a decade, it's in the guiding world. They're both risk management. But one of them for me is just much more rewarding and honestly less stressful. And that is just kind of risk management in the mountains because it's just it comes from a place of good and your goal in risk management there is to facilitate an incredible, potentially life-changing experience. Whereas back to the days in security, uh, you're just constantly fighting a lot of negative things constantly, or you're, you're constantly just avoiding kind of what I ended up viewing as like negativity in the world. And so, um, that, that for me was, was kind of a big, A, there's some parallels there, which I'm sure you can relate to. Um, but for me, it's, it's just kind of like, it's, it's a much more positive way for me to, to live my life. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to hear because it's, you know, it might not have been, and maybe it was for you because you packed up your Jeep and left. But for me, it wasn't a conscious decision, but it, it was a subconscious decision. And at the end of the day, it was a, it was a more positive way for me to live and survive Mm -hmm. and how can I give back and how, and I'm not a guide. I'm not an athlete. I just, I just really like being outside and somehow I've wiggled my way into this industry. And like, I think that shows through, I'm just being passionate about something. Like I could just sit in a chair outside I'm sure you can relate. Like I don't have to do anything. Sure. I love climbing mountains and like, but like I just sit there, you know, and that's, and there's power in that and I can't describe it and I never will be able to describe it. But, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with just like, you know, you almost chose positivity versus choosing negativity in your life. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I think that was more or less conscious. And the and the, as the years pass, Adam, I definitely feel more validated in that decision. Because um, I think as you get older, you know, you start to things come into perspective, and certain things they they gain a little bit more weight when it comes to how you're prioritizing in your life. Um, I will say maybe a little bit contradictory to sitting in a chair. I do think part of the the reason I wanted to go the federal law enforcement route is because I, I view, I, I've always struggled with the concept of complacency as an adult. And, um, you know, I think, especially as I, you know, I'm 38 now. So, you know, in my late twenties, I, I was like constantly running from, um, what I feared to be fall being pigeonholed into a complacent life. And what is, what is the definition of that? I'm not going to, I'm not going to lay it out for you, but I was afraid of never having 
to hold myself accountable to like a higher standard. And so I think part of the, the allure of the, of the law enforcement thing was that um, it's a very selective process to get there. And I think part of the reason I was chasing that was because I wanted to, I wanted to have to um, overcome the hurdles, of, you know, and w- what it takes to get to a job like that. And there's a lot of different definitions of that. Um, and I think, although you can sit outside and be truly happy in the outdoors, I think there are facets of, um, outdoor professions like guiding, um, that I'm attracted to because there are these, there's a constant set of checks and balances that you have to answer to even into your thirties, forties, fifties, depending on how deep you go into the career. And so, although I do enjoy kind of just being in a positive place as the mountains, I also am certainly attracted to, um, you know, goals and hurdles that, constantly require you to kind of spot check throughout these careers so which i think is a good segue because you're a coach as well and you know we say guide and i i relate maybe wrongly guiding to coaching but they're totally different things because you are a guide and you're also a coach Mm -hmm. how important how interlinked are those two things or are they not relatable at all I think they're very relatable. I, you know, I went to school for sports medicine and, um, I've been, I've been training people for a long time. You know, my first job was as a personal trainer in gold's gym in Concord, Massachusetts. Um, so I've always kept a foot in the coaching and training world. Um, you know, at this point we're looking at, uh, you know, over technically over 20 years, you know, we're talking my, my teenage years, I started coaching people. Um, And so I've always really enjoyed that. It wasn't until I moved to Colorado where all of a sudden my desire to coach and train people got reignited because I saw a pretty significant um, uh, way to complement coaching and training with being outside in the mountains of people. So for example, at a low level, you know, just getting people ready for ski season, you know, getting them physically fit. Um, just to go ski some laps at, at the local resort or in the backcountry, you know, I get a lot more satisfaction from that for compared to say, um, you know, some of the other work I was doing back in Massachusetts on the higher level. I mean, sometimes the people that I'm, that I'm coaching and training, I mean, you are really, you're really preparing them to be, um, as strong as they possibly can be in the mountains because, you know, trying not to over dramatize it you know, their life depends on it. You're literally getting these people mentally and physically prepared to take on objectives that they, they need to be as fit as possible because, because any, any lack of fitness could, could literally cost them their lives. And so of course, that's a, that's a crazy big spectrum of, of like why I'm working with people and the people I work with. Um, but I think at some level, just helping people achieve their goals in the mountains is, is, you know, I get, I, I personally get a lot out of that and I love seeing people, progress and improve and follow their own, their own journey in in the outdoors. It's such a, there's so much physical fitness involved in coaching. How do you bring in mental? Like, do you bring that into your coaching mental toughness, mental fitness? Cause that is so much of being out in the mountains is just mental toughness. Is that a coachable thing? Do you believe it's a coachable thing? Do some people just have it? Some people don't have it. I, I I think it is coachable, Adam. And a lot of it is just through experience. Um, and so for me, me personally, like I, 
you know, people see me and they, sometimes they laugh like, wow, you're a climber. You don't really look like a climber. And, uh, you know, when I was in college, I weighed 265 pounds from 510. So you can kind of visualize what I look like from the, uh, the audios audio universe out there. Um, now I'm a lot lighter. I'm, I'm a little closer to, to 200 pounds. You know, if I'm climbing and running a lot, maybe I'll get down to the low one nineties, but you know, I'm still not a small, small person that really embodies what a, what a mountain athlete looks like, you know, looking, comparing to elite, uh, mountain runners, like Killian Jornet or, you know, top end, um, you know, technical rock climbers, like it's really just not my, my body type. And, um, I started dabbling in ultra marathons about 10 years ago. And part of that was not really because I loved running. Um, definitely don't, did not have a history of, of running a lot, nor did I have any, any, any passion for it that I knew of. Um, but I signed up for a really long race. And a lot of that was to just see how my mind would do. And, and my hope was that I would take some of those lessons learned from those experiences and be able to carry them into some mountain objectives, you know, on bigger alpine climbs where you need to use those same skills. And, and some of those skills in those long ultra marathons are like, how do you fuel yourself? How do you just keep going for a really long time through the night with a headlamp by yourself? Um, you know, what does your body feel like at hour 30, 40, 50, right? So a lot of that stuff is very, I, my opinion, very mental. Um, and I, I think it is coachable, but you have to get someone to a point where they're experiencing it for themselves. Yeah. I always make a joke, like I'm never in shape, but I'm really good at suffering. So like, yeah. I can climb any, like I could climb Everest tomorrow. I probably can't. I mean, that's a hard claim, but like I can suffer and I have the ability to suffer. And my mental toughness is like physically is fit, but my, oh, yeah. my body shape is like a pear right now. Cause it's like <laughs> raining out and I'm making excuses, but it's always the joke, but it's true. I have this like mental toughness. And I think, you know, when I was 20, arguably I was in way better shape than I am now. You know, my skin was tighter. It's just no, it's just life. Yeah. But then like my 35 year old self, fatter self would crush 20 year old self in climbing something. And it's not because I'm more physically fit. It's because I'm more mentally fit. And that's why when you go even as simple as like going to like an old a trailhead and there's old mountain bikers, like those 60 year old mountain bikers who just crush. Yeah. It's because they've suffered like they know what it is. So this is nothing. Oh, yeah. This local trail is nothing to them, even if they haven't touched their bike once. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think there's this, these themes that, I, you know, the older I get, the, the more I, I think about them, there's like this theme of like accumulated fitness, which I think is part of it. I think they're, I think over the years, you've done this thing so many times that you've kind of built up this level of fitness. And even if you take a month off, a year off, years off, you still like are able to tap into this accumulated fitness, but I actually think it's almost more accumulated, like mental, mental toughness. And you just, you just, your body knows what to expect and you know what to expect. And you just kind of know that you can get through it. Um, and there, and I, I actually am at a point in my life where I think I'm going to probably, uh, I'm probably going to hit a wall when it comes to that one of these days. Um, but so far, like I definitely, I definitely have been able to like tap into what I think is accumulated mental fitness more than anything else. Um, like I said, I'm not looking forward to when that bites me in the ass, but I think it will one of these days. I like the term. I like accumulated mental fitness. 
because it's true. Like the first time I went to Tux, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to drink a bunch of water. I'm going to eat properly. <laughs> and like now I go up and I'm like, oh, we were out till two in the morning and I didn't have I haven't had any water and I'm just chugging yeah. coffee and I'm like, I'm fine. I'll get through. No, I've done this no. before. So oh, yeah. eventually it's going to bite us. Right. Like it yeah. has to. Oh, yeah. But- no, I agree. I, I know exactly what you're saying, Adam. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, eventually there's there is a wall somewhere. I just haven't found it yet, but I, I will one of these days. So coaching, do you do this in person? Do you do it one-on-one? Is it over the internet? How does this all lay out? Yeah, so the type of coaching I've been doing is I've worked for a gym in Boulder, Colorado called the Alpine Training Center, uh, which has been around since 2009, and it's owned by a woman named Connie Shalino. And uh, Connie, that was one of my first, so my first two jobs when I moved to Colorado were uh, working as a guide for Denver Mountain Guiding and working as a coach for the Alpine Training Center. And at the Alpine Training Center, these are in-person classes. They're, they're all strength conditioning based, um, but that we certain, certainly bring in sport specific types of training. So for example, the room is more or less split in half. We have climbers on one side, um, skiers and base programming on the other. And when I say skiers, because the ski season tends to be really long. So we start, we start, start training ski in around August, September, and that goes all the way through April. Um, and then of course, if you're on one of the local ski teams, either the kind of the, the youth, the youth teams, uh, they get coached year round there. Um, on the climbing side, we are typically in a rock climbing focus and mountaineering focus for most of the summer. And then in September, we switch over to kind of ice climbing and winter mountaineering focus where folks are literally bringing in their ice climbing tools, a helmet, um, and they might do a workout where within that hour they're doing Olympic lifts, like deadlifting, cleans, uh, but they're also actually spending time on the climbing walls doing movement. So we're trying to simulate um, scenarios these athletes are going to be experiencing in the mountains. And so if you think about just approaching to a big alpine climb, actually having to go through movement that um, simulates, you know, vertical movement in, in the ice, rock, snow terrain, uh, and then getting out of there, um, that's kind of what we're doing at the Alpine Training Center. So it's very functional-based fitness, but we certainly incorporate strength conditioning. How do you continue to keep that interesting? Oh, good question, Adam. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's like a that's an odd question, but I feel like, you know, training can be so dull and so. Like- yeah, it, it really. Did. So I'll be I'll be honest. It depends on on what level you want to perform, right? So if you want to be if you want to be the best in the world at a thing, you've got to spend three hundred sixty five days a year at that thing. If you want to be, you know, part of the reason I chose guiding and part of the reason I love the mountains is because of the variety. And for me, the interest comes with the changing of the seasons. And sure, there are some winters where I have just focused on rock climbing all year round. It's not common, but I have. But the years that I really remember best are the ones that, you know, I've had that I've had that change of season. Like, hey, the snow is about to fall. It's time to get in ski shape or time to get in ice climbing shape. And so for me, like part of the part of the allure of the mountains is like the constant the constant variety and the constant change in focus. And so for me being able to, you know, as I say, be, be mediocre at a lot of things, it's really easy because I just get to, I just get to change what I'm training for on a regular basis. Which leads me to my next question. What type of athlete do you consider yourself? Cause you're, you're a climber. You're, you're kind of a skier, but you're more of a snowboarder. 
you're an ice climber, you're a mountaineer, you're a guide. I think when we talk mountains, we just assume skiing. But I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you consider yourself necessarily a skier. <laughs> no, you're, you're right, Adam. Um, I would say if you had to rank me on on my resume, the things that I've done best are some of these like long multi-sport related mountain endurance adventures. Um, but it kind of goes back to that first thing I said earlier is like, you know, back to the law enforcement thing, I no longer really identified as this guy that, that, that should be protecting the president. Right. Like that, that no, I no longer see, see a love for, for like telling that story. And so that also, you know, take that down, down a notch. It's just like, what do you identify as? And although I'm far, like I said, I'm, I'm barely a mediocre climber. I definitely identify as a climber. So whether that be ice climbing, rock climbing, snow climbing, um, you know, that's, that's what, that's what keeps me up at night in a good way. Um, that's what I'm daydreaming about. And although I've, I've certainly from an athletic standpoint, excelled at some of these longer kind of endurance type endeavors, um, I'm certainly daydreaming about rock climbing and ice climbing and climbing mountains more than anything else. That answers your question. I think it answers it. Where do you put biking in that mix? Cause you do a lot of bike packing, uh, as I like to call it bike hiking, which you made some posts about it as well. Cause a lot of, I think the like bike packing is getting cool again. I think it was cooler oh, yeah. like in the nineties and now it's cool again. Oh yeah. And I think people forget how much you, you push your bike. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you're bike hiking or bike packing, which, but so I saw you posted something about you, you were pushing your bike and I was like, Oh, same. I know all about this, but where does that fall into my, the mix? I push my bike a lot, Adam. I, you know, part of having a good, um, biking kit for me is having really comfortable shoes that can handle uh, all sorts of rugged terrain. Uh, no, I mean, biking, I, I don't even know how it started. Like we just did a big bike ride last week and uh, that's, a, that's another story about accumulated mental fitness. But, um, you know, I think I, I honestly started biking really to, to complement some of the endurance things I was doing. Um, you know, I didn't even own a mountain bike until I signed up for this kind of multi-sport endeavor in Leadville called called the Leadman series. And it's a bunch of just really long, challenging endurance outings. And that kind of forced me to, to learn or at least attempt to learn how to how to bike and mountain bike. Um, so a lot of it is just by forcing myself into these situations where I, I kind of need to learn a said skill. Um, but I've always biked. You know, I've lived in Boston, biked there. I lived in downtown Denver for a handful of years. And like, you know, biking is just a great way to kind of live in a city. And then I found it to slowly be a really complimentary way to uh, stay fit. And then taking it the next level, you know, linking up these human powered multi-sport adventures, like doesn't get better than that. And so um, give you an example, when I was training to go to Denali a handful of years ago, um, I was trying to train with two other people. And part of the reason we, we, created this adventure, which I, which I'll fill you in on a second is to simulate a few things. Number one, we needed some altitude experience. We needed to get up high. Uh, we wanted a hard fitness challenge. And the third and most important is there were three of us. We wanted to create an environment where there's guaranteed to be some discomfort and problem solving scenarios. Um, and so we went and did it. What this thing was, is we flew to Mexico, super cheap flight, um, to the Gulf of Mexico, city of Veracruz. And we hopped on these bikes uh, and we, we just started pedaling out of town. 
And uh, we knew where we were going. We were actually heading to the Refugio at the base of Pico de Orizaba, which is the highest peak in Central America. It's a volcano that stands way above 18,000 feet. And uh, we biked as a team um, all the way to this hut and covering 110 miles and 16 plus thousand feet elevation gain, like totally out of my element. I'm not much of a cyclist. Um, and then we climbed Orizaba um, and got to the summit. So we called it just this low to high adventure in Mexico. And uh, man, even though that was really hard and even though I'm not the most efficient cyclist, that was like one of the best adventures I've ever had to, to date. And so uh, I think that opened my eyes to like how much, how much adventure and how many incredible memories uh, can be made. And, and I've made with kind of linking together these, these multi-sport outings. And they often, very often involve a bike because bike helps you cover a lot of distance in a short period of time. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more, it's becoming really popular. I mean, Cody Townsend just did Mount Whitney. I think him and Alex Honnold started at um, Death Valley. So you, yep. you ride your bikes from Death Valley to Mount Whitney, and then you ski tour Mount Whitney, which was gold. I don't know if you saw the episode, but Alex Honnold is a horrible skier. Oh, yeah. Like, it made me feel really good. I don't know. I saw, I saw that video and believe it or not. So, um, I was really nervous. We actually went and did that ride, um, the day after that got released and, um, we had it on the calendar to go do it for months. And I was really nervous. I actually haven't been on my bike in a year. I broke, I broke all of my bikes at the end of 20, 2020. And, uh, just this year went by really fast and I just didn't put any effort. I did not prioritize biking this year. And, uh, yeah, we went and did that. We went to that ride and literally the day that we went out there, that video got released. So watching Cody and watching Alex, I mean, that video was amazing. So if you haven't seen it, like definitely check it out for those listening um, for a variety of reasons. But man, that bike ride is, it, it did not inspire confidence. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Cody's Cody's like vulnerability was comm- commendable, uh, but it certainly made, it made me real nervous about going out and checking that thing out for myself. It's been that whole project's been so refreshing because, and you spoke about it earlier, but you're you're 210 pounds ish. You know, you're not you're not the typical skier mountain guy, and I'm I'm 210 ish, and Cody Townsend's probably in that range, maybe even a little bigger. But he's not a small human. He's not a mountaineer. Like he's not. So the the whole project, not that we're here to talk about that project, but it's been fascinating and it's been awesome because they've been so vulnerable. Here's Cody Townsend oh. crumbling on the side of the road, and they show oh, it. Yeah. Here's Alex Honnold, arguably the greatest climber of our generation, without a doubt. Just horrible at skiing. like, <laughs> like. But I think that's inspiring. I'm not mad about that. I'm like, wow, this makes me – don't be afraid to learn – don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. And I think two legends like that putting together something that shows that that's you can't you can't beat that. No, I agree. Yeah, I think I think it's important to show. That. I actually I personally struggle with that. Like, uh, you know, I know it's imp- I know you know everyone has their vulnerable moments, like myself included, but without a doubt. Uh, and that's something I struggle with, like to sh- to showcase that. Like I mentioned earlier that you know, part of, 
my professional pursuit is to help kind of share the mountains with people and inspire them and, and be relatable. Um, but I definitely struggle with like showcasing my own, my own vulnerability on, on camera sometimes. Um, there's certainly some areas that I don't mind talking about it um, because I'm not claiming to be the best or even mediocre at a lot of outdoor pursuits. Um, but I, but I still struggle with it. And so when I see, when I, when I watch like Cody on, on that 50 episode, like, it's great because it's real, right? Like that's, that stuff happens. I mean, Death Valley is hot. And uh, if you've ever experienced heat exhaustion or worse, like it is no joke. And I thought Cody did a really nice job kind of showcasing that. Um, another reason that show stands out to me is, you know, the mountains for me are, I've done plenty of solo endeavors. I've done plenty of outings that I did because I wanted to achieve a, a goal in the mountains. But when I look back on it, it's all, nine times out of 10, it's always about the partners and uh, the people I'm with. And I think Cody does a good job with that because he always seems to have like a cool new partner or someone who knows the zone really well, or maybe even he brings out like a guide that like knows that, that area really well. Uh, and it, for me, it's like bringing in the characters and kind of him showcasing uh, the people he's, he's doing the thing with are, is really cool. So. Yeah. And I think it's conscious for sure. I think he's always done a good job of like, and there had to be intent in the beginning, but like finding those local legends and finding those local guides and really showcasing the areas. And, you know, it's it's been fantastic. You know, everyone knows it's been awesome. And just watching it from the first couple episodes to what they've become has been like, it's amazing. And it's new content. And he's feeding machine and it's a long term goal. So yeah. it's such a cool thing to have what a great project to be a part of and who knows like what are you gonna do when you're done with that you almost don't even want to finish because then you're like now what what do i do next you're right yeah uh, no i agree adam it's a cool project so you have beat monday this is this is a great seg segue to that which is on outside tv i don't know if they're still going i know you had two seasons of it and the concept it actually reminded me a lot of working for the weekend which was the ski the east thing but you had 64 hours from, I don't know, Friday at 5 p.m. till Monday at 9 a.m. to fit in everything you could fit in. Yep. Yeah, um, this is, it's, been an, it's been an amazing journey, uh, kind of keeping this project going and actually just, just starting to grow it. I feel like we haven't even, you know, haven't even started, honestly. Um, but, it, but the whole thing came about, like, six, six plus years ago at this point. Um, I was talking to my good buddy, Mike Chambers, who went to uh, school with me actually in, in St. Lawrence in New York. And uh, he's quite a few years younger than I am. So we didn't really hang out all that much in school. Um, we kind of reconnected after we both graduated as, as we kind of both fell, uh, fell into the outdoor culture and the power of the outdoors. And so I think we reconnected then because our communities were not that big yet when it came to outdoor adventure partners. And um, so we started staying in touch, started doing things every so often. He was still living in Boston. I was in Colorado. So we didn't see each other that often. Um, but there came, became a moment. And this is when I was kind of juggling a few jobs and I was still working uh, more or less like a nine to five type role at the time. And, uh, you know, we we'd check in like once a month on the phone and just be be like, Hey, what, you know, what are you getting into? Any, any, any cool adventures in the books? Just, I think we we're more or less just kind of pinging each other for inspiration and seeing where we we're at. And all of a sudden we both had this moment. I remember sitting in a conference room, just kind of, uh, trying to, trying to catch up on some things, but also just see what Mike was up to. And, uh, 
we both were like, Hey, let's just, let's just get something on the calendar. What's the, what's like something we both want to do. Um, but and we started, we started, you know, it started out as like a bigger trip. I think it was like a week long thing. And we're like, you know what, we're going to do it. Let's make this happen. And we, we both sat down in front of our laptops. We're pulling up our calendars and like, none of us had any time. Like we went through like a whole year uh, and we're like, Nope, like he was busy. I was busy. And then finally it was like, what if we just like, what if we just did it in a weekend? Like no PTO, uh, no days off, no nothing, just like standard weekend. And so what we did is we just, we, we had those available. We had, we had some open weekends. And so we both wanted to climb and ski Mount Rainier. None of us had done it. None of, none of us had been over there. And so we just penciled in a, a June weekend um, and, uh, you know, punched out at 5 p.m., hopped on a flight, went to Rainier, had an amazing weekend, successfully climbed and skied it. It was like such an incredible memory. Uh, and we were both, you know, back at our desks by eight o'clock on Monday morning. And that just like gave us so much confidence. Like, wow, all these things that we kind of thought were were pipe dreams that we could never accomplish all of a sudden became very easy to possibly pull off. And so we started the spreadsheet. We started tackling these adventures and uh, an article got written about it in men's journal, like maybe 2016. And uh, from there we got approached by a production company that said, Hey, you guys have a cool concept and uh, we, we want to be a part of it. And so we partnered up with Delve media out of Bend, Oregon, and they created a sizzle reel for us, which is kind of like a trailer. Right. And, uh, from there, uh, outside TV partnered up with us and we filmed a pilot season, which are like full length episodes. And then in the interim, there's kind of like a lull in what, what sort of feedback we were getting from the first few episodes. And so, um, we self-produced five more shorts. So they're like five minute episodes that are filmed with just one filmer, Thomas Woodson, uh, and Mike and I. And then we re-signed with Outside for six full episodes this past year. So we filmed three, and those are live. We filmed three more, and those will come out in January. And then we are we are filming another full-length season in 2022 as well. So it has been a wild ride. Things have evolved a lot. Um, but, yeah, the Beat Monday project continues to grow. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations on signing for more, because that's always the goal. Yeah. I mean, you got to feed the beast, right? You got to survive. So it's always nice when you're like, oh, this worked out. Um, how much harder is it to film an adventure? Like now that you add a production crew to it, uh, I've done some shorts. I've done some films. My end, it's a ton of work. Do you find yeah, this? I mean, it's, it's like it's it's next level. You like, uh, you know, there's there's ways to do it. Um but to produce something at a higher level, um, it's really hard. And, you know, my role is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guide, right? So my job is to like, is to come up with a good time plan. Like anytime you take these guiding exams, like you need to show the time plan for the day every single time. And you're basically held accountable to like how closely you are um, spot on with your time estimate. Same thing. Any day you go out with a client, like you need to come up with a time plan that's like pretty darn close. And so whenever I'm planning logistics for our Beat Monday mission, you know, the first time I did it, I, I came up with a time plan of like what it would take Mike and I to climb and ski Mount Hood and then run around the Timberline Trail. And I very quickly realized that 
I had no idea how to plan for a production. And it took me about three or four productions before I, you know, it's it, before I realized that you need to buffer in at least 20, sometimes 25% more time um, to film it. And when it comes to some of these big mountain objectives, like that matters, like how much food you're bringing. And so like the first, the first outing we did that whole Mount hood thing, you know, Mike and I brought enough food for what we thought it would take us to do this thing, but we didn't realize that we were going to be out there for hours longer. And so we we're both just like bonking the whole day because we were like completely out of food. And so um, it's way harder to answer your question. There's a lot of challenges, um, everything from just logistics, timing, um, you know, talking to the camera when you are like pretty crushed, things like that. Um, you know, those are all challenges of production that I think are, are interesting, but man, they certainly make these adventures harder. How many people go on these adventures normally? Um, it, it really varies, but I'd say the production team is usually Mike and I plus anywhere from five to 10 extra people. Do you get to pick all these people? Or like, do you just get like random, I don't know, local 17 filmer guy? No, 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 no. I mean, we, we typically work with the same crew, obviously for their production budgets. We te- typically pull shooters that are usually more regional. Um, and for some of these high mountain objectives, like you need to pick people that actually know what they're doing. Often, um, you know, the mountain skill is a priority. So for example, um, you know, when we did the picnic, right? Like we hired Mark Smiley who lives in Jackson and like he is more than comfortable on the Grand Teton and he knows how to operate a camera. Same thing for the Whitney High to Low to High that we did last weekend. You know, we hired Ben Ditto who lives in um, Bishop, California, world-class climber, uh, again, knows how to operate a camera. When we did Moonlight Buttress, you know, like that was a tough one for me because our our camera team is like way better climbers than I am. You know, we hired um, Shane Lampy and, uh, and Mikey Schaefer. And so like world-class climbers, both of them, um, and also great creatives. And so, um, for the, for the kind of the base crew, um, of folks, we know who they are. We see them. It's the Delve media team. We see these guys all the time. They're total studs at what they do. Um, but when it comes to the more technical terrain, we're definitely outsourcing and hiring. Um, like I said, these are, these are world-class, world-class mountain athletes in their own right. Um, and so sometimes it's just inspiring just being out in the hills with, with these, quote, you're giving the air quotes over a podcast, quote, camera guys. I mean, they are total, total mountain athletes themselves. You don't have to answer this. I don't want to blow up your spot, but are you still doing these in three days or does the production get longer just because production's production? No, that's a great question. So we, uh, we certainly often plan more days. Like I am no, we're no longer like sitting at a desk, so to speak, until, five o'clock and then race in the airport. Um, but the adventures are still done in the compressed time frame. So even though they might be like Thursday through Sunday, often two of those days are like filming B-roll and we'll like reshoot things multiple times and we'll like stage shots. And so it actually, I mean, I, I I'm being 100% honest. It's, it's way harder to film these things physically. I mean, you know, I am, if I were to, you know, the Whitney low to high, we just did use that as an example like it would be way, way easier if we weren't filming it. And so even though we're technically doing it over a series of days, like we, you know, we want certain shots to be taken. So we, we want to film the bike ride in at sunset, but we also don't want to 
be on the mountain all in the dark. And so as opposed to like doing the bike ride and then running up Whitney, like we decided like, Hey, this would, this isn't very compelling if you're just wearing a headlamp for all of Whitney. So we like, we'll wait around until the sun comes up, things like that. So uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely not sticking to like the strict Friday at five, Monday at nine. Um, but the adventure is still very much done in a, in the real compressed time frame. Yeah. It's uh for anyone who hasn't filmed, it is so much work. Like putting together right. a 30 second sizzler is, could take all day. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I don't think people understand how much effort it takes. And then for you guys, you're climbing something and you're possibly bonking or miserable or it's raining and now there's a camera in your face and your your identity, you're a character and people are watching you and want to be inspired and you're just like, F this. And you can't say that. So I think it's fun to have like the conversations while we're not doing that and being like, yeah, sometimes it sucks and you have to be on all the time because you're, you know, think about when you're mad at home, if there's a camera in your face. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely challenging. I think, uh, you know, that's what we're, we're working on, like how to make it really like more authentic. Like, um, you know, Mike and I were talking, you know, I think our producers at Dell, like they do a really good job at they're often like asking us like the same questions, like, Hey, how are you doing? And we're like, you know, what I want to say is I'm doing the same as I was like 30 seconds ago. And I told you on the camera, right. Uh, but then you have to like, you know, Mike's always joking, like, Hey Jay, we're like, we're making a show. This is our job. And he's a hundred percent accurate. Um, you definitely have to like, think about what you're going to say. It's, it's, um, it, it takes work. It, it can be draining if you, if you, it can be, it's definitely draining and it can be extra draining if you let it be. Um, but it is at the end of the day, it is pretty cool to be able to look back and, and showcase some of these adventures. Yeah. That's one of those things that people, you know, people, are going to be at home watching it, wishing they could do it. So yep. it's hard to have that mentality when you're filming and you're pissed off or whatever. And, but like, you know, it's the old, like, Oh, I wish I could do what you could, what you do. And you're like, well, you could like the sacrifices you've made and walked away from what would have been a career in the FBI or secret service. Like those are all sacrifices that got you to where you are now. Yeah. And like at, I think you said 37 years old. Sure. It seems easy. But like no one saw the last 17 years, we'll call it, of just throwing all your shit in a Jeep and like <laughs> driving across the country and like, hey, your wife's pregnant. Now you're having kids and you're like, I'm a ski bum or a mountain bum. And I have to like, but I think that's important to talk about because people don't and they just see the success, the successful Jason now who's on outside TV, who's playing a character but you know you're getting filmed you're struggling you're on a mountain they ask you how you're doing who knows how your family's doing at home worrying about you which is a segue to my question of how do you deal with i think you have two two kids and a wife how do you deal with that being away i mean she obviously knew who you were when she met you and got into that with you but is it a struggle is it a constant struggle is it that's daddy's going to work. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the biggest things I struggle with these days. Um, I mean, first off my wife, my wife, Jenny is an absolute rock star. We met, we met climbing at Rumney, New Hampshire years ago. Um, and she's one of the main reasons I, you know, she was a 
huge supportive uh, influential factor in like, Hey, let's go check out the West. You know, like this might be a good time to have a little change of scenery. Um, and so, yeah, we, we met climbing. I mean, we, that was our, that was our life was, um, you know, experiencing the outdoors together. I mean, we, we were constantly on the go playing outside. Um, you know, our honeymoon, um, after we got married was, you know, climbing new, new peaks in rural in, in like remote Greenland. Um, just, I mean, she is, she, she knows what she's doing. She is a very, uh, very experienced mountain woman in her own right. Um, we did know we wanted to have kids and start a family at some point, And we were fortunate enough to do so before we did that though, there was a pretty like, um, significant moment. I remember where we kind of sat on the floor in our townhouse that we were renting and like busted out a big piece of poster board and kind of like wrote down kind of goals for like the next 10 years and, and beyond. And, um, you know, part of that for us was like to continue to live a life in the outdoors, uh, and to go and do X amount of things a year, if we could, if we could afford it from a time standpoint, a financial standpoint. Um, and so I feel like we've been really good about communicating. Um, I will say though, like, you know, once you do have kids, like, I don't feel like I have a chance to, I get to adventure a lot, right. I'm outside all the time. Um, but I don't get to have those moments with Jenny, like hardly, hardly at all. It's like, it's, it's, it's a very big challenge. And I would say that's one area where I could, I could put more work into. And it's something that I think is important. And that's something that does kind of fall off is like your relationship with that partner. Uh, when you throw a few kids into the mix, um, selfishly, you know, I've set myself up and part of the reason I've pursued, continued to pursue harder this life in the outdoors is because, um, like I said, selfishly, I feel like I can justify some of that time because it is being at work. Um, and so, um, whether that's accurate or not, um, you know, I, I, it is like, it is professional time right now, um, for better or for worse. Um, when I'm, when I am away from the girls, I will say though, this summer I, I was traveling quite a bit and it was the first time that's ever happened. My oldest is five. My youngest Andorra is one where I was like, man, I miss the girls. Like I kind of want to be home right now. Um, and so it was the first time that happened. I'm usually very objective focused. Um, and although I always miss them, I can kind of stay drawn to the task at hand. Uh, this summer is the first time where I had moments like I kind of want to be home right now. Let's let's stop doing the thing I'm doing. So, yeah, and I think you touched on it a little bit saying it's work because it is work. If you were an engineer and you had a traditional engineering job and you had to go to China to build a building to engineer a building you wouldn't think twice. You'd miss your family, but you wouldn't think twice about it. So I think it's, you know, it's breaking the norms. This is how you provide. Like it's not, it's selfish, but it's not. That's your job. You're yep. a professional. You're good at it. You get paid to do it. Albeit probably not enough because none of us get in this industry get enough, but it's, it is a job and you've created that job for yourself. So, I mean, not like my words are going to matter, but you know, it's something that you you will probably struggle with for a long time, but I don't think I don't think you're doing anything wrong. And and I struggle with it a little bit as well. And I'm not half of the athlete that you are, but it's like, no, this is how I get paid. This is how I live. This is how I survive. And it'd be no different that if I took that engineering job or that whatever job and had to go to California for a week. Yep. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, Adam. And there's a I don't know. I feel like less and less people know who Chad Kellogg is, but Chad Kellogg is a great, um, 
uh, Mountaineer passed away years ago. Um, he actually gave me the inspiration to go do the, the Rainier Infinity Loop, which is a big outing. Another time, another story. But he has a great quote that I, I think about all the time. And it's like, you are the story that you tell yourself. And so for me, a lot of the stuff I do in the mountains is like, I try to feel like I'm living up to that quote. Like, am I telling myself a really memorable story? But, you know, more and more, I'm always kind of balancing that with like, I want to make sure I'm also being a great dad. And part of that is like, am I telling the story of life and adventure? And am I, am I also telling the story of being a good dad? And that's kind of like what I'm, that's like something I'm always thinking about is like, I want to make sure I'm telling a good story um, to, to both of those pretty significant angles of my life. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to change consistently now as your kids grow a little older, they become humans, you know, like they're born and they're babies and they're cute and great, but they just kind of exist. Yeah. And now, you know, your five-year-old can call you and say, I miss you. And you're like, ah, like a heart wrenching, right? Totally different. And as they grow, it's, but I think they'll understand that it's work and that, and I think you just took her climbing, which was like the coolest little photos I've ever seen in my life. But like you sharing that passion, she'll understand that as she grows older and hopefully she'll be able to join you on these adventures and it all comes full circle, right? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, my goal is to just give her a lot of avenues to experience life and not force her in any one thing. I feel like my parents did a really good job of that. And although I personally would love to spend time in the mountains with her, if she wants to play soccer and play piano, like we're fully in support of that. That being said, I wouldn't mind having a rope gun partner when I'm like old and, and need someone that, to get the rope up for me when I'm like, you know, 80 years old or something. Jason, anything else you want to talk about? Where can people follow you? Uh, when does the next season of Beat Monday come out? Where can we find that? Yeah, no, I mean, Adam, this is really good. I mean, the only thing that, you know, we talked about a little bit was just the guiding thing. It's, um, you know, that's the one area that I've put a lot of energy into my life in the last, you know, handful of years. And it's, uh, I think it's kind of a hot topic when it comes to like guiding in North America in general. And I think it's, um, I don't know. There's just, there's a, there's kind of a lot to un unpack there, but m more or less, it's like the guiding thing has become a pretty big part of my life. And I, I kind of made a commitment to that a few years back. Um, and you, you know, you talk about sacrifices, there's definitely, you know, the, the ROI in, in pursuing, a, a, pursuing the guiding world is, it's not really there. I'll be honest with you. Um, and, but I think some of those trade-offs are like, like you said, like, highlighting things that are important to you in your life and continue to pursue them. So um, we talked about that a little bit with the Colorado mountain school stuff. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like uh, where can you find me? Like let's get out of the mountains together. Um, let's go climbing, reach out to me. Um, you know, you can find me on the Colorado mountain school website. You can find me on my own um, website, which is jasonanton.com. Um, you can find me on beatmonday.com. And of course, if you have any questions about, uh, coaching and getting ready for some some big outdoor objectives um let's talk and so you can find me in person at the alpine training center or we can reach out and do some remote coaching amazing and jason i think you know i we talked about it a little but i think the biggest takeaway from the little bit we talked about the guiding is i think people and maybe i'm speaking for myself but we're intimidated by hiring a guide or we feel like we don't need a guide or like we're too like if you get a guide you're like a beginner and i think 
you know, and again, we didn't talk about it a ton, but I think you mentioned it a little bit, and I think it showed or it tells the story of like guides are for everybody, and don't be afraid to reach out because these people yourself have so much knowledge, and you're so willing to share it, and it's not just for beginners; it's for professionals, it's for intermediates, it's for experts. Because there is no expert. There's no such thing as an expert, especially in the mountains. There's the an expert in one zone that one day could be completely different the next day because the mountain isn't the same. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah. To, to drive that point home, like, sure, we cater to beginners as guides. But on the flip side, it's like I also compare it to kind of the Beat Monday mindset. Beat Monday mindset is all about kind of efficiency and like doing the most you can with certain resources. And hiring a guide when you are an intermediate or advanced level mountain person is just going to increase your efficiency. So like when I've hired guides in the past, I have learned so much and it's been so worth that time that I feel like it's fast tracked my ability to pursue my own goals in the mountains. And so, yeah, I think more than anything, like, yeah, there's definitely the beginner skill set, but there's also an incredibly expedited, there, there can be a complete, an incredibly expedited fast track to you achieving your goals because you, you're going to learn so much. It's going to make you s- such uh, an efficient mover in the mountains, which is kind of what it comes down to with some of these bigger objectives. Yeah, I think we're going to try to break the norms of people being scared to hire guides. I've hired a guide once on Mount Washington, and I've been to Mount Washington. Um, but we hired a guide, my buddy and I, and we had a riot. And the, the guide yeah. loved it because we're... Again, I'm not an expert, but like I'm, a, I can ski. All right, you don't have to yeah. worry about me skiing. You yeah. have to worry about me getting there. So it was like oh. it was me, my buddy, and the guide, and we had a riot because the guide was like, "Holy shit, I don't have like two complete idiots. We're just idiots." But like now, when I go there, I know all these little like, "Oh, dude, we can go here and then hit that, oh, yeah. and that's a little quicker than if we go up and around Hillman's or you know whatever." And yeah. it's it was one of those. Who did you hire when you were out there? Do you remember his name? I have no idea. I could send it to you if I look. Uh, I believe it was uh, Mark Sennett. It's his guide crew, I think. But that's not who I had. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, But he's the big guide guy out there, right? Mark Sennett. I think that's his name, Mark Sennett. Yeah, Mark's out there for sure. Um, No, there's a, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, I think it's a cultural thing. Um, You know, when you're out in Colorado, like there's definitely a do-it-yourself mentality, I think, here um, and in other places around the U.S. And there's certainly kind of like a culture of like, I'm just going to figure it out. And there's a lot of people that you can just kind of find and like teach you to go climbing um, that are not professionals. And, you know, I I did the same. Like I I did a variety. I hired guides. I went to mountain clubs. I found friends and just try to figure it out. I read books and and checked out videos, right? There's a lot of ways you can build your skill set. Um, but then you got other places like the Cascades, right? Cascades in Washington state have these like really scary cracks in the ground called crevasses. And those tend to deter people because they're like just one more level of like things that can kill you that Colorado doesn't have, which I think tips the culture out there into being more, uh, willing to like hire paid professionals. And so like, if you're up on Mount Shuxon or, um, Rainier Baker, like there's, there's guided groups everywhere because it just tends to be a more, more of a culturally acceptable thing um, versus Colorado folks are just, they're really excited to try to like figure things out on their own, which there's pros and cons to, to both ways to go about it. Yeah. I think everyone could gain anything from hiring a guide, but my guide's name was Dustin, Dustin Cormier, Dustin Dustin Cormier, 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 
something like okay. that. But that was his name, Dustin. Right on. Um, but yeah, Jason, thank you so much. What's your Instagram handle just so people can follow it? Yeah, honestly, that's probably like the best way to get a hold of me. I, I monitor that pretty regularly. Uh, I try to share on a semi-regular basis, and it's just my full name. So at Jason Anton, J-A-S-O-N-A-N-T-I-N. Um, and uh, yeah, reach out, connect with me, whether it's guiding, coaching, uh, saying hi. And uh, yeah, I try, I try to be on that regularly and, and connect with folks. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. I know this was a little battle, our back and forth. We tried for like three weeks to figure out an hour that worked. And hopefully we'll be watching the Beat Monday series sooner than later. January, right? Yeah, January, Adam. We roll three more episodes out. We're really excited about One of them is Idaho. The other is the Mount Whitney Low to High. And the third one is Mexico. Nice, man. Well, congratulations. Thanks a lot, Adam. We're looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for your time and letting me rap with you for a little bit. Absolutely, man. Thank you. So that was it. Jason's got a story. I love his story. I love that he shared his story. And just enjoy the conversation. It's nice when you, you hop on these phone calls with people and they just have a conversation. That's what I felt I had with Jason. So thank you so much, Jason. Follow Jason at Jason Anton, J-A-S-O-N-A-N-T-I-N. Follow at Beat Monday. That is awesome. I'm so stoked on that series. I love the concept of it. It reminds me of, I think I said it in the podcast, a little uh, working for the weekend type of vibe for all those East Coasters around here. I know what I'm talking about. But it's kind of just like, get out. You got to work on Friday. Do everything you can, adventure, and then be back at work on Monday. So that's a fun concept. I love the idea. Again, thank you so much for the conversation. I want to thank Onyx Backcountry for taking care of us and sponsoring this episode. And really, check them out. Onyxmaps.com. Give them a serious consideration this year. It's basically a guidebook in your pocket. I'm not begging you. I don't care. But it's only going to help you. Onyxmaps.com. Use promo code at out of bounds. Not at out of bounds. Just use promo code out of bounds. Sorry, this is becoming a long ramble. Leave a five star review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Listen to Big Stick Energy. Listen to Adam Jabber, which all you guys always do. Follow us on Instagram at Mr. Adam X. Follow at out of bounds. A lot of rules this week. A lot of rules. I might have said it was episode 39 in the beginning. I believe this is episode 38. So yeah, let that sink in. Episode 38, my friends. I'm Mr. Adam X, and I'll see you tomorrow.